You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. Matt, today we're going to talk about the struggles of Giancarlo Stanton, the struggles of you, Darvish, the struggles of Lucas Giolito. I just realized how negative this show is going to be. But wait, we're going to talk about the man who has added the most speed in baseball, and you'll never believe who it is. And also, I can't wait for this hot Franchi Cordero talk. I guess we have to start with Giancarlo Stanton hitting 185, 283, 395, four home runs, 35% strikeout rate in 20 games. Uh, Yankee fans are worried. Are you worried? Um, Not really worried. I think that... It was always unrealistic to expect him to repeat what he did last year. You know, if he came into New York and hit 42 homers, would people be disappointed? Maybe. And, like, that's kind of silly, right? Uh, You know, he hit 59 last year, was the National League MVP. He was almost certainly not going to reach that height. I'd be a little concerned. It's certainly going to hurt his – it's hard to, like – reach your max season line after you start a season like this. But we have seen him slump like this before. We, we have. Uh, we have a lot of data to get through on Giancarlo Stanton. And you know what stands out to me the most is when StatCast came online in 2015, he was like the first exit velocity guy, right? Like he was the guy you looked at like, wow, no one's ever going to hit the ball this hard. And then Aaron Judge came along and Franchi Couture came along. <laughs> and Joey Gallo. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get back to that. But what I remember thinking last year, uh, when we were looking at his fantastic season, was I found it was interesting. His exit velocity kept dropping. The first year it was like 95-9, and then the next year it was like 93-9, and the last year it was 91-9. Still pretty hard, but not insanely hard, but he dropped his strikeout rate. So he was making more contact and just not hitting the ball as hard. This year it's like the exact opposite. His exit velocity has gone up from 91.9 to 94.2. That's a huge drop, uh, jump. Strikeout rate up from 24% to 35%. I feel like these things are not unrelated. It certainly makes sense. You know, maybe he's you know trying to, you know, hit a home run every time up, new city, all that stuff. Maybe going away a little bit from the approach he had last year. And it, it also goes to show another great example of why average exit velocity, while a good indicator, can be misleading because, you know, A, it doesn't really count launch angle, and B, over certain above and below certain thresholds, exit velocity starts to matter less and less. So what's really more important is that you're hitting the ball hard consistently, and that hard hit rate is often a better indicator of overall success than average exit velocity. And Stanton thus far is kind of showing us why. Yeah, so we have 16 months of data since StatCast came online. And you might think, this is the worst month John Carlos Stanton has ever had. And that's not true. It's actually the fourth worst month that he's ever had. He has a 341 expected weighted on base. Let's point out for a minute, 341 is actually slightly above league average, which is usually about 325 or so. Uh, he's underperforming that by 48 points. His actual weighted on base is 293. His expected is 341. Now, for him, that is below average. That is the fourth worst month of the 16 months we have. And if you look at the three months that were worse than that, tell me what stands out to you. The worst was June 2016, the second worst was May 2016, and the third worst was August 2016. You might remember he went through this unbelievably bad stretch where he was like a 50% strikeout rate, and we were all convinced he was hurt for three months in the summer of 2016. So it's going to get better, I think, but it still hasn't been great. (laughs) Of course, always what happens when guys start slow, and you know, in 2016, when he did this, 
it was kind of masked during the middle of the season. I mean, granted, it was bad enough that people noticed. But what happens when it, when you when you have your worst stretch during the middle of the season, it's a lot less glaring because like your seasonal line has like maybe a good April baked into it. Whereas in this case, all you see is one eighty five, two eighty three, three ninety five, and it just like. Hits you in the face. Exactly right. So we have data on 43 months of his major league career. Now I'm going to throw out two of them because he didn't have at least 40 plate appearances. So we have 41 months where he's had at least 40 plate appearances. As far as lowest weighted on base goes, obviously a lot of this predates the StatCast era. Uh, this this month is actually... The, which is not finished yet. Which is not finished yet. Is the fourth lowest uh, behind uh, April of 2012, May of 2016, there's 2016 again, and June of 2010, which, by the way, was also his first month in the big <laughs> leagues. So that is the fourth lowest weighted on base. If you look at his strikeout percentage, the fourth highest behind those exact same three months. And here's the part that really gets you. He has the fourth highest ground ball rate of any month behind uh, some slightly different months. But still, he's striking out a lot. And he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot. That is not a good recipe for anyone, especially John Carlos Stanton. I also found this really interesting. I looked at his opposite field batted ball percentage. This is, again, the fourth highest opposite field he's ever had uh, behind September 2014, May 2014, and again, his very first month in June. I don't know necessarily what that means. Maybe he's getting fooled, but he's striking out a lot. He's putting the ball on the ground a lot, and he's hitting the ball the opposite field a lot. None of those things are things you want. <laughs> From John Carlos Stanton, um, and and in, what's interesting is like how do you, how do you get to this point? And so I looked at his, you know, yearly plate discipline. Uh, you know, swings in the zone about the same rate, swings outside the zone uh, a little bit more, but not that much. Where he's really getting beat, what really stands out is his rate of contact inside the zone. Pretty much every single year of his career, he makes contact. 80, 82, 83% of pitches inside the zone. This year, 76%. That's an enormous drop. Uh, and it really does seem to me like he's getting beat inside the zone. And I'm just assuming he's trying to hit every ball 900 feet and it's just not working. Yeah, and the, one other thing that we looked at before the show, we were looking at his, his rolling strikeout rate over the course of his career. And, you know, we saw in 2016, it sort of peaked where he was striking out like for a stretch at like 40% of the time. And last year... He never really had any of those peaks, and it was the best season of his career. He basically stayed right around the the 25% mark all season long. And this year we're seeing the first real spike since that, like, 2016 slump. So there's definitely something wrong amidst with his swing, you know, mechanically, whatever. I don't want to, you know, but he's done this before. He'll turn it around. It just means that he's probably not going to hit 60 homers. Exactly right, which we never thought he was, but yeah. at least I never thought he was. I would say we're, we're enough into the season where I'm not just going to totally dismiss this out of hand. I, there is a small amount of worry, but I'm not that worried. As you said, we've seen this before. He'll figure it out. He's going to have this like six-week stretch where he hits 72 home runs. He's going to be, he's going to be okay. Or there, I mean, it also has happened before where players go to a new place. The first year is there's an adjustment period, and then they sort of reestablish themselves um, you know, kind of in the years that follow that, it wouldn't shock me if he he uh, he followed that path. Over under forty home runs. What are you taking? Uh, over. Over. Can I, let me put you on the spot with a question that just occurred to me. I've heard a lot of people because you talked about like a new a new team, right? I've heard people talk about well, he's in a new league. He doesn't know these pitchers. And I think that at one point that was probably true. Do you still buy into that anymore? Interleague play, lots of pitchers moving teams. Is it really about he hasn't seen these guys as much? No, for me, it's more about playing new position. And sort of that sort of aspect of it, um, you know. After all of our conversations about um, batter's eyes, 
I wonder how much batter's eyes play into these sort of things. When you go to, when you're used to one, you got to make a, make a new home. The adjustment there, I think those to me those are probably more factors, bigger factors than the switching leagues things. For reasons you mentioned, guys switch teams all the time. There's interleague play. To me, that's not a big factor. You know, also that's interesting. You talk about position switch, and I think you're talking about right field to left field. But there is such a thing as a DH penalty, and he's never really DH'd regularly before. I should, I haven't done this. I'd like to go look and see if he's hitting appreciably worse while he's DHing than playing the field. I think that'd be interesting to find out. Speaking of high-priced off-season acquisitions that haven't worked out so well, you Darvish off to a rough start. He did pitch in Colorado the other day. I guess we should note that. You uh, Darvish coming off a really dreadful World Series for the Dodgers too. Just awful starts people forget he was pretty good in the postseason before that and he was good for the dodgers before that but that kind of colored his entire winter i think so he signed with the cubs how is it going for you darvish yeah when i first started looking into this i was like oh darvish will probably be fine and while i'm still not writing him off i gotta say the trends are the seasonal trends are not they're not great obviously he missed most of missed 2015 after having tommy john came back in the middle of 2016 so i looked at um, a bunch of things to kind of get a sense of where his career has, has been going. 2000, so let's go strikeout rate by year. Uh, 2016, 32%. Last year, 27%. This year, 23%. That's bad. That's bad. 2016, walk rate, 7.5. Last year, 7.6. This year, 12. That's not great. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Swing strike rate, 2016, 12.6. Last year, 12.3. This year, 8.9. Not good. Uh, expected weight on base. 2016, 263. Last year, 297. This year, 364. 364. Cool. It's re- and really, and he's just getting just demolished by left-handed left-handed batters. 425 weight on base against him. Um, it's and before you say, oh well, maybe he's just a slow starter. Well, last year he had a three 3.03 ERA in April with 41 Ks and 17 17 walks. His only April, his most recent April before that was April 2014 because he missed 2015 and the beginning of 16. April 2014, 2.59 ERA, 33 Ks, 10 walks. This year, 6.86 ERA, 21 Ks, 11 walks. What's also interesting to me is that I thought maybe fastball velocity would would be playing a part, but actually his velo is basically the same. Um, you know, um, it's right around 94 miles an hour, so it's not like. This is like a velo drop. It just seems like something is a little bit off. The command, obviously, with the the drop, the increase in walk rate is certainly a factor. So this is, I don't want to say a big problem for the Cubs yet. I mean, the Cubs have gotten off to a slow start. I still believe they're the best team in that division. I still think they're going to win that division. But they really need you Darvish to pitch like you Darvish. I mean, that's that's an issue for them. And, and again, still too early to write the guy off. He's like like Stanton. He's had slumps in his career. Um but the market for this guy never materialized this offseason, and you wonder if maybe there were some teams that have been were less quote unquote interested in him because they saw something that you know maybe concerned them. Uh, for the Cubs, also their other big free agent acquisition, not nearly as high priced, Tyler Chatwood having similar struggles, walking almost a batter per inning. Um, but his is different. I, I'm pretty sure he's got a a very favorable hard hit rate. He's not allowing a lot of contact, but yeah, he's not throwing strikes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, in regard to Darvish, one thing I, d- I looked at in my amateur, my amateur scouting via heat maps, one thing I noticed that jumped out to me is you look at his fastball and his slider. He's compared to last couple years, he's missing a lot to the arm side. A lot of pitches wide to the um, third, base out of, third base side of the zone, both with the fastball and the slider. Um, so it's... 
you can't be thrilled if you're the Cubs or Cubs fans right now with what you're getting out of you, Darvish. So here's the question for you. You, uh, Darvish, all-star player off to a slow start. Giancarlo Stanton, all-star player off to a slow start. Who do you feel more confident in bouncing back? Stanton. Me too. Not even really close. <laughs> and I like Darvish. I think he'll be okay. But I have more confidence in Stanton. That is the StatCast look at Stanton and Darvish. StatCast powered by Amazon Web Services. Now, our next topic, if you've been a longtime listener of this show, and we appreciate you if you are, you know that we've never really been huge fans of Lucas Giolito, dating back to when he was part of the Adam Eaton trade, uh, trade which was after the 2016 season. And part of that was a StatCast-based reason. Yeah, well, he, he debuted with the Nats. He made a couple of starts with the Nats in the 2016 season, and he was like, at the time, he was the best pitching prospect in baseball when he came up. And he was intriguing immediately because we thought it'd be like a good test case of like, oh, spin rate. Because right. like, oh, well, you know, we think four-seam spin rate tells a story. Where does he stand? And immediately, it was very average, which as we've, if you've listened to the show, we always say average spin rate on a four-seam is bad. You either want low spin rate to kind of generate ground balls or high spin rate to kind of get the rising fastball effect. Um, and he was right in the middle. And in the high minors, he wasn't really missing bats. And in a cameo in the majors, he wasn't missing bats. So that was an immediate kind of like, well, uh, we're not so sure about this guy. Yeah, so I had a little bit of hope this spring. Uh, he His velocity seemed like it was up. And I remember uh, Keith Law, who I, uh, I'm a big fan of, talked about how he thought the Nationals had messed with his delivery a little bit and that maybe the White Sox could change him. Lucas Giolito on Saturday against Houston. Granted, the Astros have a good lineup, but even still. Two-plus innings, seven walks, nine earned runs, one strikeout. So far, he's made four starts, nine ERA, 20 innings pitched, and an almost incomprehensible 19 walks and nine strikeouts. There have been 105 pitchers with 20 innings this year. His 19% walk rate is the worst. His 9% strikeout rate is the worst. I feel bad like for dumping on this guy. I want to see him be successful, but I have said for like two years that I thought he's probably a future reliever. Uh, if you look at expected weighted on base, he uh, 385, that's 146th of 179 qualifiers. A regular weighted on base is 149th. Now, Matt made a very good point about his spin rate, and that is true. If you look at four-seam spin over the last three seasons, his is 21-13. The major league average is 22-57. It's actually a little bit below average. Uh, you'd think he'd maybe get a, a more grounders, but he's throwing the fastball more, up to 58 this year, 58%. And for me, uh, for all of our talk about spin, that's, that's not actually the biggest problem. Uh, the biggest problem, I guess, is throwing strikes, which is clearly not. It's actually velocity. Uh, two years ago, his four-seamer was 94.5 miles an hour. Last year, 92.4 miles an hour. This year, 91.1 miles an hour. That is a dis that's a disturbing trend. So now you've got a fastball with below average velocity, no interesting movement, and you can't throw it for strikes. And I know the White Sox have a lot of runway here. Like they can kind of let this play out as they're in a rebuilding phase. I don't know how much longer you can actually let him go out there like this. To your point, the velocity. It's I mean it's it's glaring. Uh, if you just if you just look at him as a, a prospect, and for all intents and purposes. He's a prospect, you know. Maybe he's exhausted his rookie eligibility, but he's a—he's 23 years old and he has not established himself as a major leaguer. So let's just call him a prospect. If you brought me a prospect, 23-year-old pitcher throwing 90, right-handed pitcher throwing 91, that's you're just not—that's not a prospect with, really, in this in this day and age. Like with an occasionally interesting curve, but when he, he can't really throw for for good strikes or even bad strikes. So I mean that's just you know just the the basic, you know, if you have elite command throwing 92, then maybe you could be a prospect, but like as a class that player isn't a prospect. His, his velo is now it's below average. You know, when he came in, he as a prospect, he was 
part of what made him an intriguing prospect was like this big right-hander who threw really hard. Now he's got a below average fastball velocity. Yeah, when that trade was made, I remember everybody killing the Nationals. They they're like they got completely ripped off. I'm like, I just don't see it that way. I think it's it's a good trade, obviously, but I just I don't see uh, Giolito being this top of the rotation ace. I still think he's got a future in the bullpen. Hopefully, you go throw him down there. His velocity picks up. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for him. Now you might remember Lucas Giolito was traded to the White Sox for Adam Eaton. And Adam Eaton is uh, someone who I found interesting. We rolled out, as we talked about on the show last week, 2018 sprint speed leaderboards. We measure foot speed in feet per second in a player's fastest one-second window. Last week, we turned on the 2018 leaderboards, and we focused on Trey Turner because we slightly updated the sprint speed methodology to include some home and first times, and that really helped Trey Turner jump up in the rankings. So, of course, when you turn on the new leaderboards, you want to look back at last year and say, well, who got better and who got slower? And I think it's fair to say, you know, it's still early in the season, right? So even for traditional stats, people always want to know, when is it too early to know if something matters? When does it matter that a guy's hitting buck 50? It's even more difficult for these brand new stats uh, where we just haven't had a lot of data on yet. But when I look at the leaderboards, I think, well, at the top, I see Buxton and Turner and D. Gordon and Hamilton. At the bottom, I see Pujols and Brian McCann. So there's at least some signal to the noise here. When we compared uh, over 300 guys who uh, had at least 10 runs last year and also 10 runs this year, we looked at the biggest increasers in speed and the biggest decliners in speed. Adam Eaton is one of the five biggest decliners in speed. He was at 28.7 feet per second last year, which was pretty much close to elite. This year, 26.5 feet per second, and that's a drop of 2.2. This should not be surprising. So many of the guys we're about to talk about who either had an increase or a decrease had very clear health issues. Now, we all know Adam Eaton last year, that 28.7 came before he destroyed his knee uh, at first base. And then remember, he came back this year for opening day. He's also missed time with an ankle injury. So the fact that he has dropped by so much is not terribly surprising. And it's actually a good thing for me because it gives me some confidence that the metric is working as I want it to. Uh, Other guys on the biggest decliner list, this one's interesting, I think, because you know, Josh Donaldson is hurt. It's not a foot injury, but we know he's not fully healthy. Now, the top two guys on this list, I don't have any in- injury information on Danny Valencia or Ian Happ. So I have no idea if this is health related, but I do think it's at least notable. They're both playing terribly. <laughs> Danny Valencia is hitting 138, 286, 379. Ian Happ, 222, a 276 on base, a 370 slugging, and a 43% strikeout rate. I don't know if there's something physically wrong. I really couldn't say. Something is not right with these guys certainly seems that way <laughs> uh and also surprisingly bryce harper is on the decliner list i found that fascinating bryce harper's been crushing the ball he has been he looks like peak bryce harper but his speed is down from 27.8 last year to 25.5 this year and i noticed something while i was watching the sunday night baseball game last night dodgers and nationals there was a ground out to second where he pretty notably did not run it out and like anecdotally, it seems like he's not been going 120%. And that was always his rep, right? Like he's gotten himself hurt before, like going all out, which is great. Like I love a guy who puts that much effort out. You see the data like this and you sort of wonder, like, is he playing more responsibly? Is he playing a little smarter knowing that if I don't get this base, it's not worth being hurt for four weeks? Yeah, that's the weird thing about baseball where like it actually there are times when strategically it makes sense to kind of not try your hardest with running out routine ground balls being like the most obvious example. Whereas like in other sports, you know, you'll see sometimes a wide receiver get dinged for not running hard on routes when he knows he's not getting the ball. And that's, that actually hurts the team because like if he's your best wide receiver, he's a decoy. So if he's trying, he looks like he's running his heart route hard, like the coverage has to react to that. Same thing with basketball. You want, you know, your your top score to be cutting hard without the ball, even if he's not the play's not for him because it like makes the defense work because they think he's getting the ball. 
Whereas like with Bryce Harper, yes, like in a perfect world, he runs hard on everything. But if he pulls his hamstring and misses or, you know, last year he like had that awkward, you know, play at first base where like I need eaten. Or he hurt his thumb yeah, slide in the second base. Like, yeah. It's it's a it's a disconnect I think in the game that the people always struggle with because like like any fan it's always fun when you see guys try their hardest and like run everything out at the same time. If I'm a fan of the team, I want them on the field. They're, they're more important in the batter's box than they are running from home to first. Yeah, that that extra I don't know five percent chance you beat out that infield single is not worth whatever injury might come to that. Two other guys on the biggest decliner in speed list are also very clear injury cases. Jay Bruce has dropped 1.6 feet per second. Last year, he was over 26. This year, he's under 25. He is dealing with plantar fasciitis in his foot. Charlie Blackman has dropped almost two feet per second from 28.3 to 26.6. He missed several days earlier in the month with a quad injury. This I kind of like that this sort of aligns pretty well I mean, with these health issues. I mean, both those are, are interesting cases for, for Blackman because... He's playing center field at Coors Field. <laughs> right, like, right. That's that's not what you want. And he's, no. I mean, he's raking, so clearly, like, his hitting is fine, but that is, that's tough. That's a lot of ground to cover if you're, I mean, if you're literally a below-average runner. You don't want to be a low-average runner as your center fielder in Coors Field. And for Jay Bruce, um, the Mets have a lot of outfield depth. <laughs> they, they, they that's do. the one thing they have. <laughs> and I, I, have, I have two new theories about Jay Bruce right now and why he is playing every day. Instead of Brendan Nimmo or Juan Lagares right now, I have two theories. One of which is my theory is that Mickey Callaway had him in Cleveland, and my guess is he likes him and probably was instrumental in talking the Mets into bringing him back. This is my theory. This is totally unsubstantiated. <laughs> this is my conspiracy theory. That's one. So I think he's like, it's kind of his guy, so he wants to see him succeed. Two, my guess is Jay Bruce is fully aware of the outfield depth they have and how well Brendan Nimmo is playing, and he doesn't want to be Wally Pipped. He doesn't want to go in the DL. <laughs> um, because right now, if you look at the – we talked about this last week. And if you still look at the expected weight on base leaderboard, minimum like 30 plate appearances. Brandon Nimmo's number one. Brandon Nimmo's right, ahead, right ahead of Mookie Betts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll buy those as valid uh, yet conspiracy clearly tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. But anyway, we've been so negative on the show thus yes, far. Let's, we get, have. let's get positive. All right. We, we are going to end the show with uh, two very positive segments. The first is we talked about who's getting slower. Who's getting faster? And uh, there's a lot of interesting guys in this list, and you would not believe who number one is, Matt Kemp. I'm so excited that it's Matt Kemp. There's so much talk this offseason about how he dropped 40 pounds, and you know how this goes. Everybody's in the best shape of their life comes spring training, and most of the time it doesn't matter at all. Matt Kemp has gotten a lot faster. Now, there's one enormous caveat we need to say about this entire list of guys who have gotten faster. You pretty much had to have been slow last year. Byron Buxton could not possibly have gotten a foot and a half or two feet per second faster. It's just not, it's almost not possible. Uh, pretty much everybody on this list, with like one exception, was a below average runner from last year. Matt Kemp, of the 312 runners who qualified for our list, is the biggest speed gainer this year. Last year, 24.9. He was either the slowest or second slowest left fielder in baseball. He's up to 26.6. It's almost league average across all positions. Uh, if you look, at all of his individual runs, since StatCast came online in 2015, we have over a 1,000 Matt Kemp tracked runs. Three of his top seven fastest runs have come in the last two weeks, which I think is amazing. I mean, it's easy to forget how crazy of an athlete he was. Oh, I didn't forget. Brought, no, no. I didn't forget. I, I, I'm not saying you did, but I think it's easy for, for fans to forget, you know, particularly if you, you know, or, or for you young fans out there who are just, I mean, when he came into the league, he was a guy who almost went 40-40. And one year he was like, I'm going to go 50-50. Yeah. Like, like this is, and at the time it was like, 
It could, might, it could he, happen. He might do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then he had uh, just repeated lower body injuries. Last year alone, two hamstring pulls. Uh, in, the, in the years before, he'd had multiple hamstring pulls. He had serious ankle surgery. Uh, obviously, he's older now. There's no expectation he should be as fast as he was. But he said he dropped 40 pounds, and just visually, he looks very different. And it's it's interesting the data is backing this up. Now, here's a question we have to ask, and I'm asking this without actually a, a good answer because I don't know the answer yet because all of this is so new. When I looked at Matt Kemp's sprint speed by month, dating back to 2015. In 2015, his fastest month of the year was April. In 2016, his fastest month of the year was April. And in 2017, his two fastest months of the year were first May and then April. And what I I am fascinated to find out, and I don't know the answer yet, is, is this a Matt Kemp thing? Or is this just a way that baseball players are? Like, obviously, in Kemp's case, in April, he wasn't hurt yet. There were injuries to come. But it's also potentially about, you know, the season is a long grind. Do you feel great in April? And then four months later, you're busted up a little bit. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if this is actually the case across a lot of players. And this, I, I mean, this kind of jives with the, the theory I floated to you about sort of how there's a rookie bump in sprint speed. That, like, rookies, I think, like, you know, two notable examples last year of guys who surprised us on the sprint speed leaderboard were Bradley Zimmer and Ahmed Rosario. Guys who showed up in the top 10 were like, oh, wow, those guys are a lot faster than this guy report said they were. And this year, they're still you know, in the you know, upper, like, top 5% of the league. But last year, they were both top 10. This year, they're, like, top 30. So, like, maybe as rookies, they're like, oh, I really have to impress. I'm going to run as fast as I can all the time. Maybe now that I have a job, I don't need to do it as much. I feel like that might also jive a little bit with this, where it's like, oh, early season. Like, I'm excited. I feel great. And then, like, it's like mid-May. And you're like, oh, wow, we have 130 more games to play, don't <laughs> right, we? <laughs> right. And I've, I've jotted both of these down in my notebook of things to do. And I feel like on this show, it's okay to say you don't know the answer to the questions as long as you're asking the right questions. Now, Matt Kemp is not the only guy who got faster. I've got a list here of about 10 or so guys. And there are a couple of guys I can't put a story to. I don't quite know why, but there's a lot of guys with injury concerns. Number two is a guy I really couldn't tell you why he's gotten faster. Matt Olson of the Oakland A's uh, jumped from 24-3 last year to 25-8. That's a, a jump of 1.5 feet per second. I don't really know the answer. I mean, if I'm inventing a narrative, he had this amazing half-season debut and maybe he wanted to prove he could back it up. I really have no idea if that's true, but that's what the data says. Number three makes a ton of sense to me. Mike Moustakas jumped from 24, which is like catcher slow, to 25.3. It's still pretty slow. But there's two things about Mike Moustakas. One, in 2016, he destroyed his knee, missed most of the season, and now he's another full year off of that. So I will totally believe that is better knee health. And if you remember, he had a really uh, atrocious time this winter in free agency. And a lot of the talk was that he was a quote-unquote bad body type. And I read a great story by Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic recently where he had heard all that talk, spent a lot of time this year, uh, this winter, trying to get himself in better shape. Again, best shape of my life stuff there's a limited shelf life to that but it is interesting to see some of these guys and Mustakis, we know is gonna he's, he signed that one-year deal he's he'll hit the market again so it's sort of he certainly has the motivation he'll hit the market again without being able to get offered the qualifying offer because you because you can only get the qualifying offer once in your career so he will hit the market again this offseason and if it comes off another great year at the bat where he shows indicators better like you know physical fitness indicators like the motivation is clearly there. Yeah. You know, someone else on this list who reminds me of Kemp in a lot of ways is Albert Pujols. Um, Albert Pujols had jumped from, he was literally the slowest player in baseball last year, 21.8 feet per second. He's only up to 22.6. That is not fast. He's still extremely slow. But he is also a guy like Kemp who is, let's say, past his prime, who has had a lot of lower body injuries, has a lot of issues with his feet, got in better shape this year because he knew he was going to have to play some first base because Shohei Otani was going to be playing DH. And what I'm interested to see if he's like Kemp 
is is this an early season thing? You know, once the the weight of the season gets on those feet, is he going to slow down again? I don't know. I would certainly believe that. Um, going down this list, there's a lot of guys who had injury issues last year. Adrian Gonzalez is on this list. We know he had a back injury last year. Gerard Dyson is on this list. And I said almost everybody was going to be slower. Well, he's actually one guy who uh, was very fast. Uh, he jumped up a little bit. He had foot and hernia issues last year. Luis Valbuena hurt his hamstring last year. Jean Segura hurt his ankle last year. Victor Martinez had an irregular heartbeat. It's not exactly a foot injury, but it's not a thing you want. And uh, Yengever Solarte, who jumped up from 24-7 to 25-5, had an oblique injury last year. I think it's kind of cool, even if I'm somewhat just applying narratives to the data I want. There's a lot of injury issues here, and this, this, even this early, I feel like there's some value uh, to seeing the signal shine through. Uh, certainly. All right. I'm so excited. Can we do this? If you are a listener of the show, you know we have talked more than anyone should really reasonably have talked about Franchi Cordero. And uh, at first it was because, hey, that's a kind of a funny name. Then it was because uh, we became irrationally fascinated by the San Diego Padres. So sorry, Luis Perdomo. I hope you enjoy Triple A El Paso. Franchi Cordero. Too soon, Mike. Too soon. We talked about him. I, I'm pretty sure I devoted like a segment to him in January or something because uh, last year, in, in limited time, he really shone through in exit velocity and in sprint speed. He was, I think, top 15 in sprint speed last year. Uh, we're going to get back to that. The other night, Franchi Cordero, 489 feet to dead center in Arizona. And if you know what the video board looks like in Arizona, the, the center field scoreboard, where they show the line score, right? They'll show like runs, hits, and outs. He hit just to the right of that. That's like a good 30-something feet off the field. Uh, that is the longest home run we've tracked this year. It is the ninth longest we've tracked since 2015, 116.3 miles an hour off the bat. You do not do that by accident. <laughs> like <laughs> Billy Hamilton will literally never, ever, ever do that. Franchi Cordero did that. I am so excited by this. It was quite something. It was it was quite a night for Franchi. Oh late, yeah, well, yeah. Because later in the game, because you're talking about the bun, right? Yes. <laughs> he bunted after this. I was so upset. No, what actually happened? Uh, eighth inning of that game, Tyson Ross is throwing a no hitter. Granted, I mean, Tyson Ross was not going to come out for the ninth of that game. This guy's. Hit- oh, I disagree. I disagree. You make that the if he if that has to be the final start of his career, you let him do it. Like anyway, so it was it was two outs in the ninth or in the eighth or one uh, out in the eighth. I don't, it was in the eighth. I don't remember. It was, it was I think it was two eight. Two outs in the eighth. Christian Walker for the D backs comes up and hits a clean line drive to deep center field, and it's directly over Fr- Franchi's head, and he breaks in, <laughs> and it was not good. Ball goes over his head for a. Clean, clean double, you know, didn't get a glove on it. No hitters broken up. But we looked at the catch probability on the play, and it was 99%. Usually I don't like, you know, publicizing that for guys, but obviously in this kind of situation, uh, it looked it, the data backed it up. It looked that bad. And uh, that's kind of a bummer for Tyson. Ross. like, how do you lose a no hitter on that? We should, yeah. we should do no hitters based on hit probability. <laughs> we looked at, I mean, like, we, like, even found a play that Carlos Gomez made a couple years ago that was, Virtually identical in terms of ball over his head, distance he started from home plate, hang time of the ball, distance, distance to he, the ball, distance to the ball, and Gomez made the play routine. As 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 CJ Nikowski pointed out to me on Twitter, Gomez had a little bit of a better angle, like he was actually shaded a little bit to uh, right center, so probably had a little bit better perspective to get to the ball. So it wasn't exactly apples to apples, but the point was, and even, I mean, any green set after the game basically was like, yeah, it wasn't his best route. Like, right. Well, that is true, but I, I, I did not write down a French Cordero segment to bag on him for blowing. No, but no all I'm saying, it was, it, was, it was perfectly, it was a yes. adventurous night for Franchi. A but lot let's get, happened. Let's get more to the reasons why he is probably the most interesting player you know nothing about. 39 career games for French Cordero, 139 plate appearances. Now, you generally think that there's 
little to nothing to be learned about a guy in that short amount of time. Uh, he already has three of the four hardest Padres batted balls uh, ever in the last two weeks. Ever being since the start of the 2015 season. But probably also yes. ever. <laughs> uh, now, maybe that says more about the Padres than him. Now let's look at 2015. Uh, we've had almost 900 batters step to the plate in the major leagues. Only 16 of them, or just over 1%, have hit a ball 115 miles an hour. This may be my favorite leaderboard I will ever present on this show. If you look at everybody who's hit a batted ball at least 115 miles an hour this year, 11 of them, 11 players have done it once. Nelson Cruz has done it twice. Joey Gallo has done it three times. So has Aaron Judge. So has Franchi Cordero. John Carl Stanton has done it five times. I made a leaderboard that starts Stanton, Cordero, Judge, and Gallo. I've, I've never been more excited on this show. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a skill. That is clearly a skill. You yeah, know? and I mean, and, and last year, 2017, 99 plate appearances. Cordero had five batted balls of over 110 miles per hour. Chris Bryant had five and 665 plate appearances. Uh, Cody Belger had three all of last season. Corey Seager had three. Joey Votto had one in hundred and seven hundred and seven plate appearances. So it's no. it's it tells a story. It, it tells a story. Now the obvious thing here is uh, exit velocity doesn't matter if you're not making contact, and that is his tremendous issue. His uh, his career strikeout rate is like forty two percent right now. Even in a world where strikeouts don't matter, forty two percent matters. You cannot have a career if you do that. Now. This year, it's actually down a little bit. If you look at his swing rate, it's gotten a little better. There's like some slight improvements in plate discipline, but it's not just about exit velocity. Uh, it's also about his elite speed. Now, we knew this because we talked about this before. His sprint speed last year was in the top 3%, 29.8 feet per second. This year, it is also in the top 3%, 29.4 feet per second. I thought that was fun. I liked the stack cast angle. I didn't realize this fact until I looked it up last night. In 2016, he had 16 triples, led the entire minor leagues, in 2017, he had 18 triples, led the entire minor leagues, three more with the Padres. Uh, so right already, I know this guy can mash, and he can run, and he can also play some defense. And uh, I did, I'm going to give you some deep Franche Cordero history here. He was signed as an infielder in 2012 in A-ball. He made 44 errors in 56 games at shortstop. It gets worse. Two years later, he made 51 errors in 56 games, I don't like errors any more than you do. I don't know how else to quantify low A infield defense, so that's what we're going to go with. 51 errors in 56 games. In a related story, he's now an outfielder. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The next year, he converted to left field, and he only started playing center field in 2016. He really has not been a center fielder very long. Last year, we looked at uh, catch percentage added, which basically takes every batted ball hit to a fielder, says, here's what an average outfielder would have caught, here's what you actually caught, and the difference is what you added in value or did not add in value. Uh, 180 outfielder last year had 40 opportunities. He added 11 points, the best in baseball. He was expected to catch 84% of the balls hit to him. He caught 95%. That's fantastic. Any outfield leaderboard I can give you where he's number one, Byron Buxton is number two, Adam Engel is three, and Kevin Kiermeyer is four. That's a pretty good outfield leaderboard. I know he screwed up this play the other night. I know that 99 is going to kill him, but with speed like that, uh, I, I, what I've learned about him is he can crush and he can run and he can play center field. I mean, if he makes any sort of contact <laughs> at all, he can be he's, interesting. I mean, he's a fascinating. I mean, he also he's like I mean, I'm looking at his his player page. He's listed at six three one seventy five, which is comical because he's a linebacker. Like he's yeah. probably like two thirty. I mean, a better body time body type comparison for him is probably Matt Kemp. In <laughs> yeah, that's his right, young Matt Kemp. <laughs> yeah, um, great. He's a left he's a left handed hitter, but um, he's he's fun to watch. 
Uh, the strikeouts are there, and you know, we were discussing before the air, before we went on the air, is he more Keon Broxton, or is he more Aaron Judge? <laughs> yeah, we, we talked a lot about Keon Broxton like two years ago, because in 2016, he was a guy who could play center field and run with great exit velocity, and he struck out a ton. Last year, Keon Broxton was terrible, and now he's in the minor leagues. That is very possibly an outcome here. It is easily uh, an outcome that Franchi Cordero never makes enough contact uh, to become a star, but he's also only 23 years old. His swing rate has dropped a little bit this year. Remember... Aaron Judge came up and struck out like 44% of the time when he came up. I guess all I'll say is this. They have Manny Margot in center field, and I love Manny Margot. Uh, they have Will Myers. He's obviously going to play. I don't need to see any more Jose Perella. I know he's hit the ball hard. Whatever. Franchi Cordero, everyday starter. That's what I need to see in San Diego. Um, he's, there's a ch- I mean, he's the kind of – I mean, the upside there is so undeniable. They kind of have to – Give him, right. give him some run, right? It's like I'm not saying he's good yet. I'm saying he's fascinating. I'm saying he's interesting, uh, and I'm saying he's exciting. And now no one can say they don't know anything <laughs> about Franche Cordero. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This is the MLB.com Statcast podcast. 